I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous team. Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast, a spoiler-free episode-by-episode audio review podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series, Bojack Horseman. I'm a socially distanced Michael Hamflet. And I'm a socially distanced Adam Nicholas. And Michael, it is a brand new season of Podcast Horsemen and Bojack Horsemen we're moving into now. But regardless, it doesn't matter if it's season one, two, or three, or five million. Imagine <laughs> if there was five million seasons oh, this I wish. movie. Yeah, I wish. However, if only. But either way, you can call us the front of the plane because we are all business to begin with. You can follow this podcast on Twitter or Instagram at Podcast Horsemen. Please do give us a follow, like, share, interact with us in any way, shape, or form you wish about Bojack Horseman. We want to talk ourselves horse about a talking horse with you on social media. You can also follow either of your hosts. You can follow me on Twitter at It's Adam Nicholas, or you can follow Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit. And we would love you to subscribe or follow or listen or however you listen to podcasts. If you want to subscribe, you can do so on Apple Podcasts. If you want to follow it, you can on Spotify. You can listen. I think you can subscribe on Acast as well. Um, you can listen on Stitcher, Deezer, pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts from. I'm pretty sure they're still hanging around on Napster or Winamp or places like that back in the 90s. Um, if you want to uh, listen to the podcast once a week or through Twitter, that'll be at Podcast Horseman through the Acast player. And later on in this episode, we will be inducting our latest member into the Hollywood Talk of Fame. Just a reminder, if you're new to season three, if you want to leave us a five-star review with some feedback written, it can be nasty, it can be nice, it can be comments, it can be questions, it can be absolutely anything. We will read out your feedback with the five-star review and induct you into our Hollywood Talk of Fame. And as well as a new inductee, we will be going through a very special announcement about the Talk of Fame at the end of this episode hooray question mark <laughs> i guess we'll find out but it's a brand new season and with a brand new season let's go to netflix and get our synopsis for the first episode of season three which is called start spreading the news anna spawnacopita sends bojack to new york to do interviews and todd tags along princess carolyn tells mr peanut butter to get back to work you naughty naughty dog <laughs> It's a biggie. 
Um, we come off the back of what feels like a long time ago now, uh, the end of season two, where everything was so right for Bojack professionally, but so hideously, hideously wrong personally due to the events of New Mexico. But Bojack is suppressing those in a cold open that finds him repeating lines such as it's a dream come true to endless interviews, because, of course, he is on the secretary promotion trail. He was promised by Anna Sporner Coppola that he was going to win an Oscar. So she has got in there well drilled going through the interview process. It's what you see on every film and TV show that you've that you watch where the film star is just going through the motions, asking the questions. Uh, we learn that he's in New York City. He's on his way to Chicago. He is joking, in inverted commas, about blowing his brains out because he's so bored of the questions. He's getting extremely uh, sarcastic, but Anna is there to kind of guide him and to keep him on track. Um, he gets questions such as, what is it like to play Seabiscuit? To which he responds, <laughs> which, which he responds to ask Toby Maguire. And in one of the, the cutest little nods to something that comes up later in the episode, well, your last comeback was the Bojack Horseman show, to which he cuts off very quickly with a pass. He does not want to talk about whatever, indeed, the Bojack Horseman show was or is. Um, there are repeated references from interviewers that horsing around absolutely sucked, which Bojack ardently defends, but he's stopped in his tracks by Anna, who tells him just not to bother doing that, saying, look, Bojack, you know I think the world of you, but I'm not going to mince my words. Horsing around was a piece of shit. And as always, we talk about hitting the credits with a thud and Bojack getting his life's, I say his life's work, the thing that he was once the most proud of suddenly knocked into a cocked hat as he tries to learn to be proud of this one instead represents a big moment from TV star to movie star for Bojack and that'll hit him again in another way later on in this episode but Bojack on the junket what did you make of that as a way to kick off the brand new season I'll, I, I, this is it just felt so painfully painfully true this didn't it like mm. we see how many times will you see mm. the nice well clipped uh, top and tail of the interview where the star is talking about the show or that a new film or whatever it is, but actually the reality of it is it's just sat in a hotel room doing the same interview over and over and over again. But I love the way the end of this particular cold open with the emphasis of maybe something we know already, even if we maybe don't agree with it, because we've especially watching that Christmas special. But horsing around, Michael, was indeed <laughs> a piece of shit. And it was also written by a hack writer who was also a piece of shit. R.I.P. Who? <laughs> no, it's Anna has established herself very quickly at the back end of season two and obviously within the first few seconds of season three as an important um, presence in Bojack's life. The way they go about doing that is obviously she gives him advice and it's quick and it's decisive and it's like, don't do this, do that. Don't do this, do that. It's a level of micromanagement that he's not had for a long time. And it's often what he reaches out for from the friends that he kind of abuses in his life. She's forthcoming with that instead of being asked for it. So he should be grateful. But when they are forthcoming, they tell him that his life's work is meaningless. So that I think that quite nicely plays with that act of vanity that they deal with sometimes. And now they're getting to with Bojack because his status has never been more elevated and um, we get more of that basically from the the start of the episode proper we find princess carolyn busy at her own agency of course vim having left vigor last season uh, she's just about coping mostly thanks to the help of her assistant judah who is kind of keeping her on track with the meetings that she's got to be attending um she, she is however late for a conference call uh with bojack horseman in new york while diane is doing some dreadful stalling talking about Joseph Stalling, of course, she from the end of the last season is going to work for Princess Carolyn. Um, she's keeping uh, Bojack engaged. Um, but ultimately, Bojack is not particularly thrilled about life 
on the circuit. He knows the motivation. He knows why it's there. But he, when Princess Carolyn asks him how he's getting on, he just says it's endless, like the second act of a Judd Apatow film. Uh, that felt quite true. Uh, Diane notes how uh, new media impressions are up by 23%, uh, even though she doesn't really know what that means. Uh, everybody is retweeting things when she tweets them, uh, including getting 4,000 likes on a caption when she dropped her phone and it sent a picture out on his official Instagram with the caption, Spudgem of her bathroom floor. Uh, Princess Carolyn notes that she's got an interview with him lined up for Manatee Fair. Uh, Anna interjects at this point, says that he's not really ready for that. And they look like they're about to argue maybe there's a, a sense of rivalry of who now is in charge of bojack's career but bojack being the man gets to suddenly take charge of that himself when he's the one that deserves it the least and the way in which he does this is excruciatingly bojack he says he'll deal with anna's quote bullshit in the day and princess carolyn's quote bullshit in the night you have two people working incredibly hard for bojack before we get to the next part of the scene feels like worth the stopping point here because we are about a minute and a half in and we've had our first case of the season of a Hollywood male being pretty awful to the females that keep him on track. Same different season, Michael. What are you <laughs> going to do? It's. Uh, I think it's important though that they've they've obviously introduced us to Anna at this point. Bojack is now being confronted again with another strong female presence, one who is certainly cut from the same cloth as Princess Carolyn. Although you get the sneaky suspicion is perhaps a bit more driven in terms of ruthlessness. Princess Carolyn still has a heart, it seems, whereas Anna, so far, everything we've been presented is she's here to do a job. She doesn't give a shit about Bojack's feelings as long as she gets to the end goal that she wants. There's an impression that was given at the end of season two where obviously Bojack was put in touch with Anna for the pure purpose of, the pure express purpose of winning an Oscar. It feels as though we're being exposed to the levels of Hollywood here, of Hollywood. We think that obviously Princess Carolyn is somebody that can, um, as a, a quality agent, uh, bring people together and manipulate situations so that everybody gets to win. And then all of a sudden we see Anna on a totally different level. And yet, though we're, though we're shown that over the course of one conversation, it's still at the finger click of the arrogant actor, the yeah. talent, as it were. The talent is the one that still holds the power. And they're still both catering to their whims. He, as usual, has surrounded himself. The, the members of the harem change, but the presence of the harem remains permanently in place for Bojack, and you question what he would do without it. Yeah, like, ironically, despite the fact he acts like this is something that's going to be an, an inconvenience for him, I, that's he all he is, and they're both their lives at this point. It's just a massive, massive horse-shaped inconvenience. <laughs> He, uh, he goes from that call to go and get his pyjamas out because he's ready for bed. He's sick of the day. But Todd bursts out of his suitcase. Uh, he has to wonder where he is because he has no clue. He says, where am I? Bagels, pizza, hipsters, urine. Am I in Minneapolis for the big sitcom gag? Uh, Todd doesn't know how he's ended up there, but a flashback sequence shows us, and I'll see if I can fit this all in. Bojack at home trying to get asleep and not able to. So he adds sleep medication and booze to milk to knock himself clean out. The very next morning comes through the sun rising up in the window. Todd adds that concoction to his cereal, uh, which initially causes him to pass out. But then he goes on this massive bad trip off the back of it. He uh, wears a cape and calls himself the queen of Bojack's boat. Um, the cape that he's wearing is now the cape of possibilities. Although as he labels it that, he suddenly passes out on Bojack's bed falls into the suitcase, clothes fall on top of him. Bojack throws more in last minute and the case easily gets through customs at LAX airport. The security miss Todd 
They missed a selection of guns and weaponry. But as soon as they spot a miniature bottle of shampoo, the airport goes to complete shampoo shutdown because the airport security will not be caught out by that contraband. Uh, <laughs> Todd, Todd, upon realising the journey of how he's arrived, like gets a little bit thrilled at the prospect of being in New York. Bojack instantly becomes old Bojack. He screams, you better not get your failure stink all over my important movie star clothes. But he then apologises and compliments his stink as being youthful exuberance. Um, Princess Carolyn cuts off the call that was still ongoing through all that um, to speak to Mr. Peanut Butter about a meeting that he's got with J.D. Salinger and Pinky. But in doing so, she conferences in Bojack and Anna and Todd and Diane and everybody else into one giant call. Um, it leads to a misunderstanding between Diane and Peanut Butter who are on the same call. But Peanut Butter believes that Diane is in New York with Bojack. And in their resolution of that misunderstanding, they have a conversation spoken entirely in what I can only describe as marriage guidance speak. It's Diane saying, I hear you, I understand you. Peanut Butter says, I hear you, thank you for understanding me and representing my feelings, blah, 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 blah. That is not followed up into the rest of the episode, but it's I think it's a very nice like lexical choice to let us know where they're at currently and to highlight that just because Diane went home in a Peanut Butter's warm embrace... There's three months of her going off the rails that still needs to be addressed. I thought this was some really economical writing of something that we know eventually will be explored in more detail. Yeah, it was really nicely done, this. And I think it's a good way, it's such a good device, the way they end up putting the three calls together, the three conference calls, essentially, by accident, um, which gives you a bunch of narratives where they all touch base very early on. Good. I mean, what more do you expect? Bojack Horseman is better than the show you like, obviously. But <laughs> like, we get the. I reaffirm you said this, and I would like to tell you this. And it's, it's all certainly yeah, absolutely spot on. It all certainly sounds very much like we're in the middle of therapy. Perhaps we are it's working together to try and get to a better horizon. It's tremendous that the first exposure to that we get is in front of all the other characters because it feels like palpably awkward. Every other character's eyes dart around the room slightly while Diane and Peanut Butter are having this chat across across the country, across all of America. They're having this chat over the phone. But there's seven or eight people in this call, and all of them feel immensely awkward while they're, they too are clued in that this husband and wife are trying to work through their problems. It kind of plays into the fact that it's a nice reminder that while we did finish last season on what we described as a, a sort of upbeat note, isn't it? It's an upbeat mm. note. There's hope, but we're not there yet, quite kind of thing. And I think that was certainly the vibe I was getting from this conversation is that, yes, as you said, we are back together and we're back in the house together, but there's still a bit of work to be done. Yeah, that's interesting because all the hope, that's a good point, because all the hope that we saw at the end of the season, it kind of encapsulated through the three rooms of this phone call. You've got Princess Carolyn in this brand new uh, office building where she's got her own agency now with Judah, her assistant, and Diane there as a social media rep. Um, you've got the New York room, which is nothing to write home about, but it's what it's representative of, you know, Bojack yeah. on the movie tour, as it were. And of course, you've got the, the third room where Mr. Peanut Butter and J.D. Salinger are having a meeting with Pinky about the rampant success of their game show and what might come next. And we will certainly review that in a bit more detail later. But it's all hope that feels like it could all be dashed at any point everything is still it's hope entirely constructed like a house of cards rather than anything solid and that currently is kind of the state of diana mr peanut butter peanut butter is thrilled to as usual get his crossover with bojack he compliments his brilliant instagram post spudgeon giving us our always wonderful classic bojack moment for this particular episode um and there's a lovely moment actually where you catch them both with a certain level of success that there doesn't feel the need to be a competitive 
tone in the air of the conversation. Um, they've not been necessarily coming together all that much lately, uh, Bojack and Peanut Butter. So we've not seen those two comparative forms. We've always said how Bojack is the, the yin and Mr. Peanut Butter's yang, or vice versa, however you look at that. And yet in this case, at that very moment, neither of them feel the need to be the alpha. And that feels quite notable for how they've been in the past, certainly when obviously we saw them confronting one another on the quiz show and how very nearly serious that got. This is, well, theoretically water under the bridge, other than the fact that Peanut Butter flared up at the prospect that Diane was with Bojack. It's all very messy and tricky and weird. Mm. Yep, and it's all very nicely alluded to in the most patient of ways, yeah. I think it's better to say. Um, the call wraps. Uh, Anna sends Todd for ice. Um, <laughs> and as Bojack jokes, don't get lost, Todd rounds the corner and instantly gets lost in a one-corridor hotel where he looks around and he suddenly speaks as if this one-corridor hotel is the entire city of New York. We will get to that later. Um, we see Bojack visiting the <laughs> the tragedy of Greg King Lear, um, which is a marionette puppet portrayal of King Lear as told by a puppet, Greg Kinnear, controlled by Jill Pill. We have obviously heard a great deal about mm. Jill Pill in season two. We learn that she is a spider. She is a, a theatre director in New York, which is obviously, if you remember, the original reason why Bojack was potentially going to be pulled east. Uh, things weren't looking particularly great for him, but this was a huge opportunity to work with Jill Pill. There is allusions to them having a working relationship in the past. Um, and that's fleshed out a little bit when we see them going to a diner together. Um, she asks him... And the implication is that they haven't met for several years with being on opposite coasts of America. And uh, she asks him if he's talked to Cuddly Whiskers. Um, Bojack notes that he's not really spoken to Cuddly Whiskers since the show was cancelled. Um, again, there are heavy allusions to this being related to this Bojack Horseman show that we continue to get little whispers of. Um, she makes Bojack promise to see him when he gets back to LA because, in uh, Jill Pill's words, he owes him one. So there again is another little clue maybe of something that Bojack has maybe left behind. Um, Jill, I should point out, has got a tremendous flair for the dramatic in everything she does and asks. She orders some food where she insists that the chefs shout their hopes and dreams into it. Um, Bojack notes here that um, all of this flair and all of this drama is Jill having been affected by New York, which considering what we've just seen about Bojack, the man that left LA for three months, and managed to break up an entire family and live in a normal life is a little bit myopic of him not to realise. <laughs> this city, the things it's done to you. I like the idea that Bojack, the actor, is so now reminded that he doesn't see what another city, even worse, has done to him. Um, she offers him to be in a play where he's naked, covered in milk, but he says no. Um, he wants Secretary as a legacy piece of work. He's no longer interested in producing something that challenges or asks question of his work. As he puts it, I'll be remembered. If I win an Oscar, I'll be remembered. Jill tries to get him to think beyond that Oscar, the mentality of what's next or what's still to come, and he won't really even entertain that. Yeah, he's very much, he seems afraid of the prospect, doesn't he? I found it interesting that when he starts to discuss that, he just starts to discuss the thing about, you know, he'll be remembered, you'll get the Oscar, but she keeps asking him, yeah, but then what? And then what? And he seems like, wildly wildly uncomfortable with the notion of anything past that point doesn't he like mm -hmm. at the minute as we kind of got alluded to at the end of season two he's getting back on the horse if you will because he's getting back up he has no other real option he kind of just has to go along with this now he's yeah. there for the ride 
that's the thing. Even though there's a whole other bunch of personal stuff going on, obviously that he's not resolved at all to this point from the end of the last season. This is that's his thing, isn't it? That's the yeah. it's the thing he's going to chase, the quite literal trophy that he's going to chase. And after that, he doesn't know because he's terrified. There is a recurring theme that we see now as well, that when Bojack's on the spot or he's dealing with some emotional turmoil, he refuses to entertain the second question. So somebody will say, and in this case, it's about the Oscar, obviously, you know, like, what do you want or what do you want to be? And he has one flat answer because in that moment it makes sense, but he will not even contribute to a conversation about, yeah, but we've seen him have this conversation in the flashback sequence with his mother. It's happened with Diane before, and he just can't think beyond that point, uh, either because he's terrified of the prospect, either because he just isn't built to cope with the prospect that there might be responsibilities and other emotions that he'll face after this next big thing. Everything we've seen in Bojack Horseman so far is this idea um, a fallacy that it is something that maybe we all go through in life where you think if I just get that one last thing everything will be fine everything will be sorted and it's one of the, it's a bit of a gambler's fallacy it's a kind of it's a mean and a life quest that I think most people have where you just think that one next thing is the thing but there is never the thing and part of being I don't know part of being a responsible adult or a of sound mind is to understand that and to understand the difficulties that come with that and Bojack at his advancing years still refuses to stubbornly so is it there in season one where he wins the golden globe yes is that a golden yeah. globe mm -hmm. i just think that that's the it's interesting for me because in that whole episode he carries focus, it around doesn't he? the focus is he keeps hold of it because mm. it's that one last thing and i swear to god i'll shut up about this season forever like <laughs> he keeps hold of it dead tight and he never lets go of it for the whole episode once he gets it i think he keeps it for the whole rest of the episode mm. until the very end um and i just think it's funny that he's already had that, hasn't he? And that was and that was a complete fluke in the first place in yeah. a weirdest way. So then it shows you really that he's if that's what he's so focused on, it's an it could be another empty path for him because like what did the last one bring him? It didn't really bring him anything. And yet here we are. He still can't look anywhere further than just blinkers on. This is what I have to do. Don't think about anything that's going on in my personal life right now. Just do this. Just keep running, I guess. Just keep running. It, it was a, another case as well. Bojack has criticised um, things coming so easy to Mr. Peanut Butter. And obviously mm -hmm. that wonderful joke from season two where Peanut Butter just patrols the streets and opportunities rain down upon him. Um, it's happening for Bojack again. Jill Peel is here offering him something. She has been trying to get in touch with him for months for one thing or another. Um, I love the idea of Bojack being involved in the tragedy of King, of King like Leo with Greg Kinnear. I don't know how Bojack would have fit into that. But even now she's offering him whatever it would have been that would have had him naked in milk. And yet he's not interested. Things are still coming, falling into his lap. And he's not able to see, I don't know, the benefit of it, the benefit of his life. He's, he's not checking his privilege, nothing like that. No, and I, I love the line, uh, but he says, I'm not interested in being rebirthed, thank you. I'm still recovering from being rebirthed, off from being birthed the first oh, time. Yeah. It's so, I mean, that's Bojack, and it's summed up in a whole. He may be a piece of shit, but there's a reason. <laughs> Broken from the very beginning. Mm. He, uh, we go to later on in the day where he's at the bar with Anna and Heather, a journalist from Manatee Fair. Um, they're having a drink. It's the evening time now. This is the night bullshit that you promised to do. Um, 
there's a lot of what's next questions coming from Heather. This is a second case in the episode where he's kind of pushing back on the prospect of thinking beyond the Oscar talk, which he believed he was all that was all he was there to do. Um, he's wanting a drink because he's getting quite stressed by the line of question. Anna advises him not to drink, but after all a really helpful micromanagement, he snaps at her for micromanaging the night. Um, so she leaves him to it for the night. He orders several drinks and a drink and flirt, and sure enough, they end up back at his hotel ready to have sex. Um, we've not seen any of the escalation beyond the drinks at the bar, but the implication was there from the beginning. And we know at this point that it seems to be just something that Bojack will do if it's easier than thinking about the consequences of it. It's mm-hmm. better to just let the conversation lead to something like this than deal with the aftermath. Um, they already have sex, and we then get the view of them having sex from Anna's room. Her wall backs onto Bojack and she can hear them talking to one another. Um, <laughs> I should point out that earlier on, um, Heather the Manatee has noted that uh, sailors used to think that manatees were mermaid, which uh, leads to them kind of doing a like a sailor-themed role-play, at which point, again, back in Anna's room through the wall, we hear Heather say, oh, I'm a mermaid, I'll jump on your boat. That kills everything dead. Oh. Uh, as you can imagine, Bojack had already tried to do this once by referencing an episode of Horsing Around where, <laughs> Sa- where Sabrina was a mermaid, but Heather made it perfectly clear that she wasn't here to sleep with a television star, she was here to sleep with a movie star. Again, another sort of a distance in between what Bojack was, the horse from Horsing Around, versus Secretariat in Secretariat. Um, but yes, anyway, the mention of the boat stops them both dead. Um, it's really well shot, this, because... They don't linger on, obviously, the the dirty talk between Bojack and Heather, but on Anna's very thoughtful and pensive reactions to it. They animate her face really well to the point where you kind of catch a bit of frustration. Um, Certainly a bit of thoughtfulness when she hears things going wrong and maybe try to tap into what it is that's making Bojack tick. Um, Her thoughts perhaps on them crossing a line between journalist and interviewee and what that might do for his Oscar buzz. And maybe even a little bit of jealousy because she's developed a quick closeness to Bojack as well. There's a lot really well expressed, I think, through Anna's face on the other side of that wall. But back to uh, Bojack and Heather. Uh, Bojack uh, lights up a cigarette. He, he tells Heather, you ruined it. Of course, she wasn't to know that this role play was to be uh, unacceptable. And then after like such a sudden, sudden stop... He just references snatches of the New Mexico situation with zero context. He doesn't sort of suggest, well, I went to New Mexico and he was the mother of the daughter, so and so. He just names names and he just mentions the boat and he mentions little snapshots of things. It's quite interesting because it's almost like considering that a journalist is there, they start more like paparazzi snapshots of a story as if pictures to go along with the the real juicy bit of the Bojack story she was about to get given. Uh, Bojack says... uh, if her mother, and again, he hasn't given any context to Heather. He says, if her mother didn't walk in, would I have done it? Part of me is sure I couldn't, but another part of me knows that's a lie. This is quite incredible because he has just dropped, it's a bombshell. It's a bombshell we all knew, but perhaps one that we didn't want to accept from our avatar, Bojack Horseman. Um, but he's in a room with somebody that cannot possibly apply any context to that. We know how powerful that sentiment is, yet Heather doesn't. For him to come outright and just say it, like, and say, like, yeah, you know what it is, I've been telling myself that, but then a whole other part of me knows that's a lie and that it would have happened. Like, him immediately admitting that, we, uh, despite the fact he's he's using the Oscar 
the Oscar run as this thing distract him, isn't he? Again, yeah. the horse, the film about the running horse as he continues to run away from his actual problems. Uh, the irony is there for everybody to see. But it's all these little jigsaw pieces and it just so happens he's in the worst possible company because you get the feeling that maybe she isn't anywhere nearly as drunk as he is. No, and just her as a person shows that as much as anything, this is a PTSD flashback for him. Um, yeah. if, if he was speaking as somebody that could apply the necessary context, any of the main characters would understand exactly what's gone on here and there would be absolute hell on. But it's not happened, I don't think, necessarily by choice. It's happened through a recollection he didn't want to deal with until it's it was... It's a trigger, isn't it? He gets yeah. a trigger. It's a trigger. You're right, yeah. The boat is a trigger. It's something that is like, for the want of a better phrase, I suppose, it's like thrust upon him when he would have least expected it or least wanted to think about it. Um, Heather, of course, doesn't get the full context. Um, but, you know, it suggests that he moves forward, which is advice that currently doesn't work because he's on the Secretary movie trail. Um, and then notes, well, at least you're going to be an Oscar winner. And then he just, again, because he feels at rock bottom and he feels weak, he just confesses that it's not him. Um, it's the recorded computerised version of him. She, at this point, spots that her tape recorder is still recording because they were having a bit of fun with it before, um, mm -hmm. you know, they kind of, as they burst into the room, I should say, they were just still playing with the tape recorder. It's picking up that confession. Um, her eyebrows raised. And she just suggests they just go to sleep for the night. Bojack looks completely exhausted by the whole experience and does. Uh, the shot is left on him asleep and the sun comes up. Naturally, Heather is not there. Bojack is in the room along. He does at least wake with a total panic. Uh, it's an oh, spring awake moment where suddenly he realises the consequences of his actions. And for the first time in a long time, he acts fast to deal with them rather than run away from them. He doesn't know what to do. He calls Diane in a confused state, asking for help, not realising that there's a three-hour time difference across the coast and it's four in the morning. Uh, there's a lovely little moment where uh, <laughs> uh, three quarters asleep, Mr Peanut Butter hears that dies on the foot of Bojack and he kind of half sleep goes, oh, is that Bojack awesome? across that episode? And then just goes back to sleep again because that's just hardwired into him at this point. Um He's asking for help from Diane, but he can't actually summon the words because he's just so stressed. She doesn't really know what's going on. He th she thinks when he's trying to explain that somebody said something about somebody, that it's a row about the book again. And mm. what I like about this is that when she says, oh, is this just another fight about the book? She's reached a point now where that's trivial conversation between the yeah. two. And I think considering how big that was in season one and season two, it shows how their relationship has developed from all that time she spent with him in the house, for all the conversations they've thrashed out about this goddamn book, the thing that made him that he still won't accept is the reason why so many doors are kicked open for him. She's now found a way to just find peace with the fact that he might ring her up in the middle of the night to bollock her about the book. Uh, he, he tells her that she sucks, but then he apologises. A nice mirror in there. Um, again, we talk about the high note of season one. Something Bojack is trying to do is be better. He's an arsehole. He's a piece of shit but he's trying to look at the people he values in his life and be better around them. There is an instant abuse of Todd followed by an instant apology and retraction. The exact same things happen to Diana. So she sucks. <laughs> Your wife is bullshit. Um, so she sucks. <laughs> but Lady apologises, admits it's just because of the stress and hangs up. So again, it's a situation where Diane doesn't have to put the phone down and think, what the hell's that? What have I done? Because Bojack's at least tried to like clear the decks a little bit there. Speaking of clearing the decks... He knocks on to uh, Anna's door, who says straight away when he answers the door, I'm aware of the situation and I'm handling it. He cannot fathom how that can be so. Obviously, we, the viewer, there's the dramatic irony of us knowing that Anna was fully compromised for everything that was going on in the room, but Bojack was not to think that, because why would he? Um, nor 
why would he think that as good as she is, she could be that good? Um, she doesn't allude to how she's managed to apparently handle it, but it's cool. She's got it and she'll see him at the screening. It really is as simple as that. Um, before we get to the screening, um, it's just that particular scene um, and at the screening, uh, Anna just says that she took care of the problem and there is no more conversation on this. I thought that was, especially because that's all we get in this episode on this particular plot point, I thought that is yet again another comment on the levels that we're reaching. Um, earlier on, there's a real throwaway gag when Todd bursts out the suitcase and Anna says, oh, it's all right. Um, Bojack smuggled a boy in the hotel room. Hollywood actors do that all the time. Um, that is the sort of thing that obviously Princess Carolyn would have thought about. Anna has seen that a million times. There is an establishment of a tier of maybe where they're at in the world. Anna, upon hearing a dodgy conversation and her Oscar Buzz client in trouble, has made a very, very big problem go away and doesn't even feel the need to tell Bojack how. The power that must create in the males causing these problems is frightening. And I think that's what this, the level of which this is brushed off, I think that's what this was trying to tell us. Yeah, this was really well done. I think uh, obviously they've been doing this from the very beginning with the show, but this was a this is a fascinating way to do this because not only is this Hollywood stars and celebrities getting to clean up that business quietly, privately, and without any problem, and also not really specifying exactly what kind of dark ends we went to actually do that, but it's notable here yeah, that the person who's doing it is a woman in Hollywood, like, and she's really good at it that's even worse like she's become like an expert in cleaning up this stuff and the two instances we've been given there is like solving an unsolvable problem with the journalist like at the drop of a hat with no questions asked a female journalist a female journalist nonetheless and then also on top of that saying like how much she just literally brushes off the talk of her a young boy in a holly in a hotel room with a Hollywood Hollywood star. Like those are two massive, massive things. And she makes them sound like nothing. And I just think it's very, very obvious and very deliberate that this character is being portrayed this way, but it's very the gender of Anna is hugely important here yeah, because it's like she is being made an accomplice to these shit, thick men of Hollywood. We saw, didn't we, that Hank Hippopopoulos, again, we're dealing with levels, television star versus film star, he used and abused the females around him through fear, job fear, um, yeah. his receptionist, his administrative staff, whoever, his PR. Um, Anna feels the next level up. And then you have to go, well, hang on, then is Bojack Horseman there now with the comparative piece to Hank Hippopopoulos? And mm. you would dread thinking that about them in Hank's actual episode. In Hank yeah. After Dark in season two, you don't want to believe that Bojack and Hank are one and the same. But what we're seeing is that Bojack is actually the Premier League to Hank's championship all of a sudden. Some very deliberate parallels there, isn't that? Very yeah. deliberate. Um, he notes, obviously, that when it all kicked off, at the, at the screen, and I should point out at this point, when it all kicked off, he realised he was actually scared to lose this all, and he is relieved. But the saying it out loud about being you know, computer-generated Bojack... Uh, has given him doubt that he doesn't deserve this Oscar. Anna is there with the pep talk. And again, there are levels to these pep talks. Princess Carolyn's wonderful, pick yourself up by your bootstrap bollockings. I know where to be found in Anna's talk. She keeps it mind-numbingly simple, as if she's had to deal with people who have got numb minds. Um, She says winning the Oscar won't fix any of his problems, but it'll give him a really good night. 
And the way she sells this one good night, when we have seen, again, television versus film, the good night, in inverted commas, of him carrying around that golden globe, sad at a party with his bow tie strewn, the way she sells this good night, it's as if it's taking place on the moon or something. It's as if it's taking place in space. She paints a picture in his mind and then says, do you want that? Bojack, very flatly, says, yes, I do. Fantastic voice acting from Will Arnett here. There is there is no emotion, and yet there is conviction. Um, it's as if more he's signing up. He's signing the form rather than emotionally committing to the bit. Mm. Um, it's as if he has a vague recollection of that Golden Globe night, but he wants to believe that the Oscar night might be better. Um, we see him watching uh, the You Are Secretariat scene from Secretariat, which is a scene in which he's in a classroom with the kids. Um, it's again a sort of uh, dead poet society type moment where he's inspired all these young kids from the street. You are Secretariat. No, you are Secretariat. No, you are Secretariat. And it's again wonderfully shot because... Every time there's a U.R. Secretariat, the camera zooms in harder on Bojack when this whole plot point has been about he literally isn't Secretariat. It was a computerised version of him. Yeah. Um, and the, the, pro, the indeed, the, the screening and the show itself ends with Bojack at a Q&A uh, with a host after the fact. And he, uh, he's asked about horsing around, um, obviously not in a way where all the journalists were saying, oh, that show sucked. Uh, the, the more sort of convivial presenter was asking what he thought about it. And he said, that TV show wasn't me. This movie is me, and I can't tell you how great it feels to finally be doing the kind of work I can be proud of. And we hit the credits, not with the kind of the death toll of what we saw in the end of season two, but with him, I don't know, killing his credibility for the good of this journey that he's signed up for. As a man who has not too recently finished watching The Wire, Mm. um, the line from from Mr. Bunk, who says... uh, the bigger the lie, the more they believe is the line that he chucks out. Mm. And my word, that was the first thing that popped into my head here yeah, where we've had a man who's been like, he's struggling with everything that's going on. He doesn't know what to, how, how to handle it. And in a weird way, how weird must that feeling be, the power that creates when he's in a panic and then someone just says, don't worry, it's sorted. All the problems yeah. are sorted. And also on top of that, don't worry about this film because uh, you're not in it. You're not in it. You don't have to do anything. This is a robot animation of you or whatever it is. Like, And he just accepts the lie. He's like, mm. I'm just going to commit to this lie. And it's kind of heartbreaking, this, isn't it? Him saying, like, uh, horsing around wasn't me. It definitely is him. That's exactly him. But he denies it and, and wants to move it out of his life for the gains of what might be this one good night in, Hol- in Hollywood with his Oscar, potentially. And I just kind of feel like really sad for him because he's got nothing else, has he? This is yeah. it. Like that's why he has to accept it because everything else is either too difficult for him to handle or it doesn't end well. And I just think he's just having to take the lesser of the evils and make no mistake about it. Anna Spornacopoda so far has given off vibes of being a, a very capable devil. <laughs> When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah. yeah. She's, uh, she's, she kind of, uh, I think probably the easiest term of I can think of is a cleaner. Um, there's a Harvey Keitel uh, yeah. role, obviously, where she comes in and she fixes quickly because people have money or influence and the ability to do so. Um, and it just, it's again, like we talk about this so much, this predates Me Too and it predates speaking out. And it's just the idea that this exists at the very top level of Hollywood, mm-hmm. Hollywood, Hollywood, um, that people can do this for a living. And then with that comes the promise of an Oscar if you just go out there and fake it till you make it an interview. It asked a lot of complex questions of the viewer and what they thought of Bojack here, because I think you're right to suggest that you kind of feel sorry for him in this particular interview. Mm. And yet there are countless points in the episode where he deserves no sympathy whatsoever. He is yet again, you know, a man in a system that is rigged to service him. And it's just, uh, there are no, Bojack doesn't, Bojack Horseman the show doesn't try to pose easy questions. And you mentioned why exactly the same it tries to show you a bit of the world functioning in a way that perhaps you didn't know. Mm. And <laughs> maybe The Wire is the first time we can say, and that's why Bojack Horseman is better than the show that you like, because if you like The Wire, like it's, that's a conversation yeah. for an entire different podcast. Yeah. Yeah. But they do, they do the same thing. They're asking you to just take a look and try and make decisions because you've finally been given the information to make those decisions. We see through Twitter or through magazines or through film junkets or whatever, we see things that are telling us how to form an opinion on people. But how often is that really the truth? I tell you what's really hard as well with all this is that I just touching back on Anna Anna Corbett is that she is for all intents and purposes, a, a woman who is managing to excel in Hollywood. She's found the way to do it. And I don't know if we should be celebrating it because of the nature of what she's doing. Do you know what I mean? We want to see them succeed. We'd like to see the women given opportunities. We'd like to see them being able to be the highest end as as the men, as the top end of things in exactly the same fashion. And yet, this is putting us in a weird position. This is one thing we wanted. And yet, the one thing she's really good at doing is making all of this really bad stuff go away, which inevitably creates this like power dynamic for the men who's just helping to save and protect, which then makes her not an ally in that way. But ultimately we do want to see the women <laughs> succeed. So it's it's so clever. It's such a clever way to do it. And it makes you realise that it's not quite as black and white as you all might want it to be because 
there are very big complicated things that go along with this and that and i'm sure the most powerful would rather keep it that way if you get yeah. wrapped up in the complication of it if if there's throat cutting at every single level to the point where women will turn on their own for the opportunities they otherwise can't get yeah. the people at the very 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 top are over the moon because there's just a, a horde of confusion and misunderstanding yeah. while they get to ultimately reap the ultimate benefits it's which bojack never doesn't ask those type of questions but in a season opener that kind of lulls you into a false insecurity by keeping it light. For, by the end, it's back to asking the big questions and full credit to that as well. It's, a, it's sort of done in a more of a Trojan horse way um, coming off the back of the last season, but I was certainly glad to have that to think about by the end. Um, we go to the lighter sides of this episode uh, in the form of uh, Mr. Peanut Butter's uh, B-plot in this one. Um, we find him, as we said, in the call at the start of the episode that he was conferenced in on. Uh, he's with Pinky Penguin, who is now the head of programming since Wanda got poached da, 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 <gasps> by a company to be shot da, 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 to the top of the corporate ladder. But she's got to move to Detroit. Oh, my God. Uh, Wanda has, of course, gone because of everything that happened with Bojack. And Pinky has finally fallen backwards into a good role. And he's over the moon as well. Because Hollywood stars and celebrities, what do they know? Do they know things? Let's find out. Has been a huge hit. Sorry. Like, people know this by now, don't they? They know the abbreviations. Why do I need to be so formal with people? H-S-A-C-W-D-T-K-K-D-T-K-T-L-F-O has been a huge hit for the network. And I love that he says that the network is breaking even as a result yeah. of the show. <laughs> as well as its sister show, Talking Hollywood stars and celebrities, what do they know? Do they know things? Let's find out with Chris Hardwick or T H S A C W D T K D T K T L F O W C H. Uh, but JD Salinger suddenly takes it away. As it turns out, the title of the show was his modus operandi. He says, I've told the story I wanted to tell. To carry on would be crass and inorganic. He was literally wanting to find out <laughs> Hollywood stars and celebrities know. Do they know things? Let's find out. And he found out. So why carry the show on? This and now we know. And now we know. <laughs> Pinky understandably has a conniption fit at the prospect. Mr. Peanut Butter doesn't really seem to be to know quite fully the extent of what's going on here. Pinky, in an, another tragic ode to the life that he leads outside of work, says, my ex-wife was right. I am no Christopher from the Tesla dealership. <laughs> so, yes, uh, J.D. Salinger is part of the quiz show. Uh, Mr. Peanut Butter is left to consider taking some time off. Um, we cut briefly uh, to Princess Carolyn's uh, B-plot here because... Um, she loses uh, J.D. Salinger pointedly to Gecko Rabitowitz, which obviously mm -hmm. is a tell of what happened to both those characters after this split. Um, because, as we noted before, she can't really keep up with the work despite Judah's fantastic help. Judah's advice is to offer her clients to take on more responsibility than trying to get more clients. And in doing so, um, says that they should focus on Mr. Peanut Butter. She gives him a ring. He's lying in his pool. He notes that he was actually quite happy with the time off, but she just talks him into getting more work by speaking to him like he's a dog to the point at which he barks off the lounger. I was going to call it a barker lounger there in his pool. Uh, barks, off, uh, barks off the lounger like a dog. Goes out, go on, good boy, good boy, go hunt for work. Um, 
in hunting for work, he turns up at his accountant Oxnard's house. Uh, oh, God. We reach Oxnard's house where he's talking to his son about how his health has improved. He's loved the bonding time they had together. His heart's never been healthier until Mr. Peanut Butter speeds onto their drive in his sports car, knocks down the post box, literally kidnaps Oxnard before giving him a chance to say no. Um, at which point Oxnard's son... Uh, cries out saying, but dad, we were going to play catch and listen to your favourite Harry Chapin song. I don't even know the title. At which point Oxnard, as he's being dragged away, says, it's cats in the cradle. <laughs> the son says, oh, I'll listen to it then. And he says, no, as through the glass of the windscreen. Poor Oxnard wondered, uh, voiced wonderfully by Jake Johnson from uh, New Girl fame, um, captures that character perfectly again. And again, in a a light moment of the B-plot, which is substantially lighter in the episode. Uh, Oxnard is in the place of Todd, who, of course, was lost in New York. They're having a meeting without him for PB living. But Oxnard sardonically suggests that if Todd was here, he'd probably pitch an idea for a spaghetti strainer and that's also a hat, which Mr. Peanut Butter thinks is a winner of an idea, but reminds him that they're supposed to be here to pitch TV show ideas. To which Oxnard says... Oh, well, he probably pitch a TV show about a spaghetti strainer that's also a hat. At which point, Peter Butter insists that he spend all his money on spaghetti strainers in order to make hats for the TV show. Uh, Oxnard replies, well, how's that even a TV show? Peter Butter says, I don't know, your idea, buddy. So Oxnard left to shoulder responsibilities of coming up with an idea that he knows is going to bankrupt the pair of them yet again. On Todd, very briefly, before we wrap this. Um... He got lost in the hotel corridor before and he plays like he's lost in actual New York. They do that lovely shot that you've seen a hundred times where streetlights of New York venues are flashing past him, but the lights are just things like no entry, do not disturb, no smoking, just the signs that he's seen in the one corridor of the hotel that he's been in, just going to get ice, as is often the case with Todd. He was given one job and adventure in his mind, at least, has found him. Um... He's left staring out of a window as if he's lived in New York for 50 years. And what's this town done to him? And he, uh, he finds, uh, as he talks to himself, saying, who is this sad, broken man I've become? He sees a bird that is just in the process of a suicide attempt, but it doesn't work because she jumps and then flies to safety. Um, he greets Bojack at the end of his spiritual quest by saying, oh, Bojack, you won't believe what I've seen. To which Bojack cuts him off and says, oh, did you get the ice? It's like, oh, damn it. And he asks if I can get the ice, and we never even see them have the conversation <laughs> because he's seen absolutely nothing. Uh, it's a nothing and everything episode for Todd. They're really, really good at this. They are fantastic yeah. at finding ways to make absolutely nothing happen in Todd's life. But in Todd's mind, everything has gone on only to be cut off with the swiftest of whip by Bojack before they can even add genuine heft to it. It's a, it's a, a C plot, both artistically and in a meta context as well lovely stuff and that's all we get really from all the characters this was a bojack heavy one but all of them were there for some much needed light relief they were indeed and it was it's a funny episode because we get a good establishing of where everybody's at pretty much but like you say someone like todd ends up on this wild goose chase that never really comes to anything (laughs) and probably just what we needed given how heavy bojack's side of the things tended to be in this episode but on that exact same note if only we had a list michael of all the things <laughs> in this episode that were just well there were like hidden meanings or small details you might have missed or maybe even just some easter eggs well guess what we've got them if you're the first time yeah 
Welcome. This is a part of the show where we go back and do what we like to call horsing around. So if we go to the very beginning where we see Bojack doing the press junket, uh, the Secretariat poster that is in the background and changes depending on who he's getting an interview from. Sometimes if it's someone from Russia, it changes to Russian and all sorts. But the one thing that stays the same is the list of people's names on it, the credits. Now, there is an absolute collection here of uh, names. Some of them are relevant some of them are just uh puns but i will run through them now for you uh, one of the people you can find on the poster is laura gutin peterson who is actually in real life a writer for bojack horseman she actually wrote the episode one trick pony she was okay. involved with with rafael Waxberg. there's also the name finnegan critchman which is a nod to uh one of the character designers from the show i have actually forgotten to write down the, the name critchman is the surname that it is but it's not his full proper name it's just Critchman, just the surname. We've also got <laughs> Lucy Dog, dog spelled D-O-G-G-E, which, I'll be honest, I think it's just a dog pun, but also <laughs> the way they've spelled her surname is the German word for Mastiff, which is, of course, a type no. of dog. Okay. Um, we've got D.P. Crandall, which is another representation of these where they've used surnames, so the actual person it is in reference to is Max Crandall, who was the second assistant editor on the episode Hank After Dark. Um, there's also Brando B. Terrietton, which, as we all know, a terrier is a dog, Michael. So just another dog, another dog in there. And we also have, speaking of dogs, we have Indy Hannawalt, who is, in fact, or I hope is, or certainly was, the real-life dog of Lisa Hannawalt. Ah, so nice. actually the dog's name. And in a quick flip of that, we also get the name Musef J. Katz, Katz spelled K-A-T-T-Z, and it's just because it sounds like a cat, Michael. And meow, <laughs> pretty much. There's also a nod to someone called Oliver Hollingsworth, which is a reference to, or could be either or, Mike Hollingsworth, which is a big name for Bojack Horseman. It's the supervising director of the whole show. And also Anna Hollingsworth, his partner, I assume his partner, I apologise if I've got that wrong, but I think that's the case, uh, who is the animation director, or one of the animation directors for the show. There are two other names, Wilfred Hunter and Ace Frank, but... I don't think I have anything for them. I think they're just there. Um, shout outs if you do have any. Any suggestions at Podcast Horseman, send them to us. Um, if we go through the opening credits, we've had a few changes now. Brand new season brings brand new credits. Instead of the set of Secretariat, which it used to be, where they were filming it, it's now been swapped out and we're at the premiere of Secretariat. And there's a few things. If you really slow it down, you can pick out the back. You can see the bird paparazzi who we've seen since season one. They're on the red carpet taking pictures of everybody. There's a Ryan Seacrest type there trying to grab an interview with someone. Anna Spawner Corporate and Princess Carolyn. The two key female figures you'd probably see in Bojack's life are front and centre, the ones closest to him. Mm. Both both on their phones doing their busy work because, of yeah. course, they are. Um, in the background, you'll also see Diana, Mr. Peanut Butter, walking the red carpet. Uh, Judah, who is, of course, the new assistant of Princess Carolyn, what introduced to this season, can also be spotted there. And there's an incredible bit where Todd is getting his picture taken on the red carpet. And actually, the flash causes him to fall over and he flips over one of the velvet ropes that you see and ends up on his backside, <laughs> um, which I just thought was great. And interestingly enough, the TV in the next scene, at the, at the house party that you always see that's going on in Bojack's mm -hmm. house, uh, last season, it was Sebastian Sinclair who was on the TV screen. Now, there's a screen It's very clearly it's Tom Gumbo Jumbo sitting down having a conversation with Christina Aquafina. 
I got that wrong. Sextina Aquafina. <laughs> so, who knows if that'll come into play or not, Michael? We'll have to wait and see. We go to Vim Offices, which is the brand new offices of Princess Carolyn. Just a quick one. This There's an octopus PA there, personal assistant, who was just dishing out a bunch of coffees because they've got all the tentacles and manages to see everybody gets their coffees nice and quick. If we go into Princess Carolyn's office, though, when we're there, quite a few things, yeah. Mostly cat-centric, I would imagine, mm. as you can probably guess. Um, her screensaver is a ball of wool just bouncing back and forward, <laughs> which I thought was a nice touch. And on her desk, much like in her house, there's a list of books that she has on the side there. And I'll just run through some of them for you here now. Huh? And there's a t- we have A Tale of Two Kitties, which is, of course, oh, a reference to oh, Charles Dickens's A Tale of Two Cities. There's um, Romeo and Juliet, which <laughs> a nice twist on that. We get uh, Purity instead of Purity, which is a real book by Jonathan Franzen. We also get Burmese Days, which is <laughs> a nod to the George Orwell novel, Burmese Days. Um, there's a, a book, a real-life book called Consider the Lobster by David Foster Wallace, which is a real book, and that is listed on the thing. David Wallace, though, made me think of David Wallace from The Office. Which <laughs> from I thought the office yeah. um, there's also the Big Book of Pyjamas, which, if you do the math, Michael, a la The Cat's Pyjamas. Very good. I like that. Yeah. There's also The Colour Purple, but purple spelt with two R's, purple, <laughs> which, of course, is the book by Alex Walker. And we get a brilliant uh, a deep cut, yeah, for um, a French a French author, and apologies if I get the name wrong. Uh, her name is Marjane Satrapi, um, and the book is called uh, Persepolis, but it's spelled, obviously, Persepolis, and that is an autographical, autobiographical series of French comics. So that feels very much like a Lisa Hannibal kind of touch Mm. in there, I would imagine. But one that I really enjoyed, which I've deliberately missed out on the order, was one called Me Meow Meow Pretty One Day. (laughs) (laughs) Which sounds ridiculous enough, but the book that it is actually based off is called Me Talk Pretty One Day. And the writer of that book, Michael, is one David Sidaris, who is, of course... The brother of Amy Sedaris, who was oh, fantastic. of Princess Carolyn. So a nice little nod there for Brilliant. Um, we go to Bojack, Bojack's hotel room. Just quickly, I just want to say I love the painting of the horses on the wall. No mm. actual reference to another painting at all. Just incredible three horses running through a, um, a desert, I think it looks like. They've all got jeans on as well, which reminds <laughs> me of the orangutan with the jeans on, who we've seen num- numerous times throughout this last season in particular. Um, we get another flashback of Bojack, as you described, when he's figuring out how Todd ended up in his suitcase, pretty much. And as Bojack's trying to put the drink and drugs into his uh, milk, you see in the background there's a box, and it's a box of what looks to be frosted flakes, Michael, but it's not. It's frosted fakes. And, of course, <laughs> the tiger on the front, who I guess we can call him Timmy the Tiger, maybe? <laughs> I don't know what his name is, but it's certainly not Tony. because he's Thorny the Tiger. Bony the Tiger, very good. That's why you're getting paid the no books. Um, <laughs> but the quote on the front of the, we're used to saying, they're great, but apparently these ones, they're okay. <laughs> <laughs> and something that popped me rotten is a quick little note from Todd, who obviously turns up to eat the cereal the next morning or whatever when Bojack's passed out. And he says, is my name Sarah Koenig? Because I'm about to get cereal. <laughs> <laughs> just before he digs in. Uh, we go to the airport part of that flashback, though, and I just thought it was a great gag. We get the three suitcases. In one suitcase is Todd and the baguette that he took with him, <laughs> that he fell in the bag with, which is an interesting callback to Todd playing pool 
with the baguette billiards, if you remember oh, correctly, yes. yeah. the previous season. Todd has a strange relationship with baguettes, we're finding out, yeah. But also, on top of that, the bag full of guns. And then the, the normal suitcase is hilarious because it's full of toilet meat. And that's very much not fine, that, apparently, <laughs> which causes, as you see on the board in the background, a shampoo shutdown. The, the whole airport goes mad. And wonderfully, the people who are waiting to get through um, customs next, there's a, a few people, but one of the most notable is an old woman turtle who is obviously very panicked by this and just retracts into our shell immediately <laughs> from all the alarms and noises. We go to, um, I guess it's technically, we go to the MBN network, the MBN offices, which is now where Pinky, it's Pinky Penguin's office now. Yeah. Uh, there's the meeting with Mr. Peanut Butter. He's having, I like that Pinky's penchant for weird mugs that don't really promote them very well. Continues, he has a mug that says, MBN, the third best network. <laughs> There's also a picture of his three kids on the desk, which I just thought was cute, as we've yeah. seen his kids were very happy to be saved in season one, I think, back in the day. There's also a bunch of books in the background. Well, there's a bunch of scripts that are held together by two bookends. Those bookends are, of course, held together by two props from the Swamp Monsters of Malibu, which was the failed franchise that Pinky tried to launch. Very good. For Penguin Publishing. And on top of that, wedged inside of that pile of scripts is one copy of One Trick Pony, the book ah. that saved his life. <laughs> um, and we also, as you mentioned, get our first, well, the first notable, I think, classic Bojack from Mr. Peanut Butter, who just backs mm. up the fact that you're doing the Lord's work, I think. Another lovely bit from Todd, yeah, quick one-liner in Bojack's hotel room. He says, well, as Carrie from Sex and the City might say, I'm Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so stupid. And yet, it's probably one of my favourite lines in this episode. We then cut to an undisclosed street in New York. Um, you'll see a couple of gags outside of the place that Jill Pills play is on. Uh, mm. There's a cockroach who's just looking in the bins, a, a cockroach person, of course, who then just dives straight into one of the bins because <laughs> of what something to look off. Um, but then, obviously, on the front, we get the poster or the sign for The Tragedy of Greg King Lear, a theatrical immersion by Jill Pill. And the quotes on the front board or as follows, there's one that just says, it's exhilarating, that's from the Village Voice. There's one that says, fun for the whole family, that's from the New York Post. And there's a one from Wall Street Journal that says, this is a show that exists now. <laughs> <laughs> All sounds like a really heavy endorsement, that really does. But then we go to a Manhattan diner, which is not just me giving you my take on it, it's literally called a Manhattan diner. Okay. Uh, outside we get a lovely bit where, the specials on the wall are a Greenwich eggs and ham sandwich, which I thought was great. <laughs> nice. And there's also eggs uppy east side breakfast. <laughs> Egg, eggs upper easty breakfast, sorry, is what I meant to say. Still pops. And happy hour, which I thought was great because Newcastle, Newcastle, New York even, is quite pricey. Mm. Uh, happy hour runs from 3 till 3.30 and it's all <laughs> you can drink, all you can drink water. <laughs> there's also a, a wonderful bit where there's a builder walking by with a hot dog and he's just in the middle of eating it, but he's finished. So he chucks like half of it left or whatever. He goes to chuck in the bin. It hits the rim of the bin, Michael, and lands on the floor. There's a bunch of other people outside in business suits and who are chatting and stuff. There's one cockroach, there's a rat, and there's three pigeons who are all in suits and stuff. But when this hot dog hits the floor, they all turn into battle mode and they're all sort of looking at each other, squaring off. Who's going to get the hot dog, Michael? I thought was really well done. It's <laughs> all very relevant to the streets of New York. Um, inside a, Manh a Manhattan diner, however, we also get some incredible posters on the wall when Bojack mm. is talking to Jill. 
pill. Um, one of them is a poster for Hamilton. Only Hamilton is being performed by a pig, Michael, because Hamilton, it's like ham, lol. Um, <laughs> on top of that, we also get Clamsmith will teach you guitar. And it's a poster, one of those things you pull a little tab off to get the guitar yeah. lesson. And it's just a picture of a man with a guitar with a clam for a head. <laughs> just incredible. We also get a poster for Giraffe Lewis and the Junkyard. <laughs> <laughs> it's a giraffe with a bunch of bandages on its face we also get an ad for and I've had to note this down for Pup I think this is how you pronounce it Pupai sitting as in uh, it says my name is Mary Roach I'm 22 years old I'm good with children and available to work in New York and Brooklyn but Pupai for anybody who doesn't know is like if I'm pronouncing that correctly is an insect who's in the non-feeding stage of development between being a larva and the adult so during which it typically undergoes a complete transformation while it's in the in the chrysalis in the cocoon, mm. essentially. So Popeye's sitting just being pop across to watch the chrysalis. <laughs> so it's great. Um, also, the chef is a cockroach, and the cockroach, he sort of climbs down the wall in the background while Jill Pill's talking, goes into the pass, and then you next see him popping up and putting his chef's hat on and starts doing the cooking <laughs> in the background. Very good. It's brilliant, but the best gig, the visual gag you're going to get here is that on the wall, there's two posters for one for a lost human which reads lost human mike blue eyes last seen in central park please call spike and then if you look across the wall there's also a poster for a lost dog oh nice the dog who's missing is indeed spike spike has brown eyes he was also last seen in central park <laughs> and if you can call mike which i thought was brilliant obviously the, the little um man's best friend and best friend's man i believe is mm. the best <laughs> Um, we go to Vim offices next, and I just thought this was great. J.D. Salinger, who, Alan Arkin, by the way, what a powerhouse performance this. Just first yeah. time we said powerhouse this episode, I think. And um, just brilliant. From him deciding that he's done with the show to the fact he's in the office, and he's talking to Princess Carolyn, and he says basically that he can't be dealing with this. He's not getting very much attention from her. He's going to go to um, Rabinowitz and... Um, uh, Gecko. Gecko and yeah. Rabinowitz, sorry. But he says, he says, I can't be working in a place that has two stories. I need an agency with at least nine stories, which he himself will tell you is in reference to his collection of short stories, nine stories. But Princess Carolyn has absolutely no idea. <laughs> On top of that, um, as he's walking out, I just thought it was brilliant that he says to Judah, hello to you, Resputin. Give my regards to the Tsar. <laughs> and that is him essentially doing the best mic drop in the world and just walking out of the office. Which I loved, thought was great. We go to Mr. Peanut Butter's house, just thought it was notable that he's floating on an inflatable in his pool, and you can see there's tennis balls floating in the water, and there's a bone in his drinks holder. <laughs> where he's also got two pairs of sunglasses on because his future's so bright, Michael, obviously. Very good. But on top of that, though, love the fact that when he gets off, he does a little doggy paddle as he's going yeah. to the side to get out of the pool. Um, but also, interesting parallels between. That and what we see in the opening credits of Bojack Horseman floating on his pool mm. with his sunglasses on. The success story, I just thought that was worth yeah. a mention. I also thought, very interesting, I just love, you've mentioned it so I won't go any further into it, but the Oxnard gag with Mr. Peanut Butter is oh. wonderful and brilliantly voiced, I should point out. Both Oxnard and his son are both voiced by Jake uh, Jackson. <laughs> he just does a high-pitched version of his own voice. Um we go back to the bar in New York where Bojack is talking to um, Heather from Vanity Fair. And I don't I didn't really jump on the <laughs> I 
the relevance of it, but the, I thought the sea shanty gag was just so ridiculous. <laughs> says, I'm not going to listen. I'll just put my fingers in my ears and sing an old sea shanty. And you just start singing in the most ridiculous way. I thought that was fantastic. But also, maybe a little notable, um, a way that Jill Pill kind of gets in Bojack's head when he's, she's, obviously her show has been all about puppets. And she mentions that someone else might be pulling the strings. And he is then has a moment where he's not happy with Anna Spornacopita trying to, basically pull mm. his strings, get do with and he says, I'm not your puppet, which I thought was a cute reference. I guess as well, the sea shanty is a little bit of foreshadowing. Bojack could have given it some thought and thought, there's a chance you might bring up some boat stuff. You don't want to hear that. And he obviously was just completely oblivious. Yeah. Didn't quite take that because he was mm. thinking with his penis, Michael. <laughs> um, we go to Todd in the hotel, and uh, as I mentioned, yeah, he just thought it was a great guy there when he pops his head out the window, the pigeon is about to jump off. She goes to attempt a suicide, and as he falls, she goes, oh, crap, I forgot I can fly. <laughs> Just floats off, happy ever after, I guess. And finally, we have um, the Secretariat screening, just a little nod at the end there. You mentioned some interviewer who's interviewing Bojack Horseman. Well, it actually happens to be a real-life uh, film critic, Elvis Mitchell, who is the one who is the famous American film critic who's interviewing Bojack there and getting all the goss from him regarding Secretariat. So... That has been all of your horsing around for the first episode of season three. Hope you haven't fallen asleep yet, but if you have, let's wake up because just in case you think we're done, you are wrong because we have one last thing and then we swear to God we'll shut up about this podcast forever. Michael, would you like to go first? I always end up saying yes to this question, don't I? You do, you do. So so, so I'll flip it this week for the start of season three. Would you like to go first this time? No, I want you to do now. Yes, I'll, (laughs) I'll go first. I will go first because... This one I just thought was interesting and it kind of fits perfectly with the obscene and obnoxious naming that we've given this particular segment of the podcast. We're not the only ones though, Michael, because on that poster of Secretariat, I said there was a bunch of names and I did deliberately miss one off. So someone might have been shouting saying, hey, one of the names on there was uh, Henry Darja, which you may ring any bells. It probably doesn't know. Um, Henry Darger is a real-life person, not a fake name, and they were an American writer, novelist, and artist. But as I did a little bit of digging on the Wikipedia, this struck me as being a fascinating inclusion into this, and I don't know why they've done it per se, but you'll understand why. I think it fits in perfectly with one last thing, and then I swear to God we'll show up about this podcast forever. Because Henry Darger uh, has become famous, as Wikipedia will tell you, for his posthumously discovered 15,145-page single-spaced fantasy manuscript, which is called The Story of the Vivian Girls in what is known as the Realms of the Unreal of the Glandeco-Anglinian Warstorm caused by the Child Slave Rebellion. <laughs> what? And not only that, Michael, but along with that, all those words and that huge obnoxious title is apparently was found at several hundred drawings and watercolour paintings that were to illustrate the story as well. <laughs> These were all discovered after he passed away. Nobody knew any of this was even in existence. But now the man has risen to some fame for this ridiculous whole, I don't know, back catalogue of work that nobody ever seen until he <laughs> passed away, which I just thought was a fascinating little tidbit of trivia there. And what a thing to be pulled out from an episode of Bojack Horseman as well. It's, I'm glad you went first, actually, because my one last thing is to read the entire book. So settle in, and I'll, uh, I'll get I'll get us started now. I believe the manuscript you're referring to is the story of the Vivian girls in what is known as the realms of the unreal of the Glandeco-Anglinian war storm caused by the Child Slave Rebellion. Is that the one? Or, as it's abbreviated to, 
T S O T V G I N W K A S T R O T U O T G L A. I've made that mistake. W R S. Who cares anymore? I've lost it. It's gone. I tried. I put an attempt. In. There you go. Oh, that does your very noble attempt there to uh, abbreviate that. It does take me to mine. It's just a little one. I thought it was. You've alluded to it actually in the in the wonderful acting performance uh, vocally. But what a fitting farewell for J.D. Salinger. Um, out of nowhere as well, but in a way that makes sense. He was found in a bike shop alive, which is just a funny, cute Bojack Horseman. Yeah. <laughs> but is a man with with work behind him. Not something fake, not something that is... like It's not a house you know, that has no foundations. Like J.D. Salinger was, was something real. And yes, we kind of laughed and joked that he suddenly took this game show very seriously when he was in that hot seat. It was as if he'd become the director of the Truman Show or something like that. He finally found his whole world. But the interview, or the meeting, should I say, at the end, vindicates that. His last meeting, the idea that he wants to like cancel the show, shows that all along he was being credible. He was the exact author he always was. He was the exact artist he always was. And I love that just any time that the, the fake veneer the bubble of Hollywood is popped by somebody that actually cares about the art. Yeah. We couldn't see that Hollywood stars and celebrities was his art, but he did and he saw it through and he left. And I just thought that was like a sharp dart of, uh, of reality that pops the bubble and of all the people to do it, why would it not be famed renowned author J.D. Salinger? J.D. Salinger leaves the room spitting masters, spitting darts faster. <laughs> Shut up, you're the driver. He's the passenger, Michael, in case you were worried about it. But I have to say, his work was good, Michael, but it wasn't It wasn't quite a 15,145-page <laughs> manuscript, was it? Let's be honest. Um, but yes, a brilliant performance from Alan Arkin. And again, J.D. Salinger somehow managing to, to steal quite a lot of the, the scenes he was in this episode in a... Episode full of show stealers, I guess, in general. But we have rambled on for quite some time now. So let me just jump ahead to our last little bit of plugging because, you know, we, we need some support. We need your yeah. support. We like interacting with everybody. So if you've enjoyed what you've heard and maybe you haven't already, please do give us a like, share, follow. You can find us on social media. You can follow Podcast Horseman at Podcast Horseman on both Twitter and Instagram. Please keep interacting with us the way you have. If you have any questions, about the seasons that we've covered so far, you feel free to ask them. We won't obviously be able to ask stuff that would spoil anything for anybody else who might be on that feed, but we'd love to hear any of your questions and just basically have the discourse because we love talking ourselves horse about a talking horse. You can find me on Twitter if you'd like to do that, at It's Adam Nicholas, or you can find Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit. You can subscribe to the podcast. We would love you to subscribe um, on Apple Podcasts. You can follow along on Spotify. You can listen on Acast, on Stitcher, everywhere you get your podcasts. Um, the subscribe would be absolutely fantastic, uh, as would the reviews and all that sort of thing, as every podcast you've ever listened to gets us up charts, gets more people to listen to it. And as Nicholas points out, we love building the community. And just before we induct our latest member into the Hollywood Talk of Fame, you may remember I said there was a big announcement about the Hall of Fame at the start of this podcast. We have opened the doors. There will be a new way to get yourself inducted into the Hall of Fame. Obviously, if you listen for the first time, if you want to leave us a five-star review with a few words, they can be nasty, they can be nice, they can be comments, they can be questions, they can be jokes, they can be references, whatever. We will read it out on the show with that five-star review. You will get a name check and you will get your own star on our personal Hollywood Talk of Fame through our social media channels. But 
the podcast will go up on Friday on that ACAST link on Twitter. And if you retweet that link for us every Friday, you will be entered into a draw once a week to get your own star on the Hollywood Talk of Fame. You are eligible if you already have a star. We will give you another one. We will fancy it up. We will pretty it up because you're a two-timer or a three-timer or whatever. Yes, every retweet will go into a draw once a week. So when you see that uh, Podcast Horseman link on Twitter on a Friday, which drops every week, uh, give that a retweet, get that shared, get the community growing, and you too could find yourself entering into the Hollywood Talk of Fame. Just like Danny Jones, who left us some feedback saying five-star review. Thank you very much for that, Danny. He said, you can say something nice or you can say something nasty as long as you make it five stars. See, I did a joke about putting the literal thing on the banner joke. Do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get it? We get it, Danny Jones, and we are grateful for it. Thank you very much for your five-star review. Your start on your Hollywood Talk of Fame will be coming to you through the socials in the near future. And to reiterate, there will be a new way to find your own star there. Any retweets that we get will be entered into a draw. We will pick one at random, and you two could be joining the list of illustrious members of our wonderful Hollywood Talk of Fame to be found beautifully curated by Adam Nicholas on our official Podcast Horseman Instagram feed. Indeed. And if you're really lucky, I haven't decided yet. I am not the quickest with the old Instagram uh, Hollywood talk of fame stars. I will admit that. I'll happily put my hands up. But I might just make any of the ones who come from retweets that we get, I might make them a little bit different. might give the star maybe a different colour or a little mm. bit of something. So I might, I might change it up just to make it interesting because it would be nice if you got more than just the same old star. But either way... Any help we can get with the podcast is appreciated, and that is a great way to show your support if you don't indeed have the access to iTunes to give the five-star reviews. Anyway, enough of my talk, and let's take some words from Netflix Synopsis for the next episode of Podcast Horseman and the next episode, indeed, of Bojack Horseman, which is Season 3, Episode 2. Michael, the mystery is about to be solved, I think, because this episode is called The Bojack Horseman Show. Mm. In 2007... In 2007, Princess Carolyn finds a new project for Bojack. Diane meets Mr. Peanut Butter at the coffee shop where she works. And Todd kisses a girl. What? Exciting times. It sounds exciting. I hope he's not going to be serial for that. He needs to be switched on and serious (laughs) getting in his game. But with that said, that is everything for this week on Podcast Horseman. Thank you, as always, for listening. I have been Adam Nicholas. I've been Michael Hamflet. And this has been Podcast Horseman. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.